Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan, presented by Michelob Ultra Pure Gold. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 31. So last week, we had part one of our conversation with Australia's Owen Wright. If you haven't listened to it yet, please check it out. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. For part two, we dive right into our rearview segment, which is Owen's historic 2015 Fiji Pro Final. If you'd rather watch it than listen to it, you can always view our rearview segments on worldsurfleague.com. In addition to watching Owen decimate a tricky cloud break lineup, we go deep on his near career-ending injury at the end of 2015, his long road to recovery, as well as answer questions from the listeners. Please enjoy part two of the lineup's low tide conversation with Australia's Owen Wright. The good old clap take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be a world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once. Let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. It's up to your boxes. All right. So for this week's edition of The Rearview presented by BF Goodrich, this is the final of the 2015 Fiji Pro. It was event number five on that year's championship tour season. And you were absolutely on fire. I think starting in round three, you put up 16-2-6 out of 20 against Ace, 17-2-6 in round four against Fanning and Joel, a perfect 20 in round five against Adam Melling, 16.6 in the quarters against Parco, and 16.93 in the semifinals against Jeremy. Is this the best event you've ever had in your life from just a consistently high-performing stance? Oh, for sure. Uh, there and here in Chopes, uh, they're like mm. pretty, for me, waves that those points I can get heat in, heat out. And that, this one for sure was like, it all came together for me. Oh, I think you're up on this first wave. So just walk us through this, this wave for you. I think I remember just at the start of this heat, I was like, hey, this looks like a pretty decent wave. I want to just get things started. And um, that ended up being pretty pretty nice little barrel and a couple, couple good turns there. How important is it for you to, to start a heat, whether it's a final or not, with the first wave? Does it, is it consistent for you every time or does it depend on the, the competitor you're against? I think it just depends on the wave. Mm. For me, I just... Like I was at a left-hand point, I was like, this looks like a runner. It's got a nice draw. It's got some length to it. Because sometimes the waves at Fiji, like they're a bit, they can like taper off too quick or, you know, maybe they're too long. And um, that just had like this nice line to it. And I remember just going, yeah, I'll give this a go. Like, um, And you can tell which ones are going to do that before as you're paddling in. It's not something when you're up, you're like, oh, it looks like this one's going to be good. It's it's pretty hard to tell. Like that wave was still pretty hard to read, but um, it te- it did have that nice even line to it. Say if it stayed open through that middle part, the, w- the score could have been a lot higher, or you know things like that. But um, it it was for the for the day probably an, a pretty average wave, and I'm not sure what I would have got score, but it might have been like a six or something. I'm not sure. But I think this I one comes in at like a mid seven for you is what you open yeah. up with. Yeah, I just wanted to get get going. Like I, I, the waves were pretty slow at this point in the day. Um, swell was slowing down, and yeah, I guess that was just more of a decision on just the conditions and this stage in the day. Like I knew it was slowing down. It just had that. The, even the forecast was predicted that, so I, I, uh, I just jumped on it. It seemed like a pretty fun little fun wave. See, so look, this is a much bigger set wave and probably the more obvious choice for this day but there you go it's just it's the this wave is such a trick like sometimes they're too long but that looked like a perfect wave to begin with and you wouldn't and he wouldn't he wouldn't have known paddling in he's just kind of like rolling in into the first ledge and thinking and kind of gambling and saying i hope this one stays open man that's looks like a 10 point ride right there like that whole style that wave was like that's a 10 yeah i've I fully remember going, oh my God, look at this wave. What have I done? <laughs> <Why laughs> Your 7.5 is not looking good at this point. Like, yeah, oh, no. why, did I, why did I pick that first 7.5? <laughs> but um, this, that's just the, that, that reef. You, you really, it's really hard to pick. You've got to pick the ones with a good line. And, and um, that one looked like maybe it was just a little too long. Um, and it turned out it was. But I would have said yes. If I had priority, I would have went that way for sure. 
looked like you took a look at it too. Oh, I bet I would have. I mean, it looks like such a nice wave. And he did such a nice fade off the bottom and then it just throws out so nice through there. Oh, I wish there was still a vent at this wave. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> a bit too, long, that one. Yeah. Now, you mentioned you and Julian were kind of, you, you guys are generational contemporaries. You're about the same age. Um, yeah. what's, you, what's been your relationship like when Julian throughout, throughout your career? Are you guys friends together? Do you, do you not talk as much as you used to? Do you talk more? Was there ever any kind of tension between you guys? Well, we were, we were always, uh, I'm a few years younger, but I was always mm-hmm. kind of the younger one stepping up into like, into that, the gang, you know what I mean? Like kind of Wilco and Julian and they were just a touch older than me. And uh, like, I was just, just a bit younger, but we always got along. We, you know, we both got, both had kids pretty similar age and we really enjoyed that. Like, oh, I really enjoy Enjoy the, the dad life and watching him be a father and and we kind of talk about that stuff and then which is pretty pretty fun and the challenges of that. Um, <laughs> then there's he's been definitely supportive throughout my career. I've had uh, the the head injury and whatnot and and he was um, he was very supportive and checking in with me and seeing how I was going and things like that there. So that was um, nice to have and I'm sure I'd be there for him the same as well checking in with him and so yeah we've had a pretty good good relationship throughout throughout the career and you know I think you know we see each other on tour all the time and then when we come home what I've found even with Wilco like we'll be hanging out all the time when we're on tour and then we get home which is probably not that much at all of the year which is maybe four months of the year and we we don't really hang out or you know like catch up every day like we do for the other eight months of the year. So we, we always talk about it too. Like, oh, what? Like, and we always just come to this agreement. Like we probably just like get home and just want to like chill out. And like, um, that's kind of that balance you're talking about too. It's like, well, you kind of have your tour life and your tour community and your friends and your family there. And it's like, you spend all your time. You're like, well, man, if I did that, when I got home too, it's just never ending. I kind of have to level out at some point. Yeah. And you want to catch up with all the friend, your friends circles at home and whatnot. You just, don't find as much time for your friends that are on tour. So, um, yeah, that's kind of, that's just kind of how all of my relationships on tour have gone really is it's like a, an agreed upon friendship. Like <laughs> I'll see you at the airport when we're on our way to the next stop. The, yeah, the, yeah. I'll, I'll call you when I get, I'll call you to catch up for a wave. And it's just like, no, nah, I'll see you at the next event at the airport. <laughs> the, the, um, I've got a couple questions there, but I, I liked what you said about before where you're like, well, I was a little bit younger. So so you're actually kind of in these guys' rear view, like because there's less expectation on you because they're a little bit older and more established, but you're kind of coming in and it's probably a little bit more fun sometimes because you're like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I, I have less pressure to perform, but if I beat you, you're a little bit older, you're supposed to be better than me kind of thing. And so they're probably psyched to have you push them, but at the same time, they're like, oh man, there's kids behind me again. Like I got to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we've like just throughout our whole career, like I was always just stepping up into there. Just that two years is just enough. Whereas like there was that enough performance, like age gap open up where I was in the under 16s, they were in the under 18s. Right, but yeah. once we went into the juniors, we were all in there together and, and mixing it up. And, and then I'll be in the juniors. I was only in the juniors like a year or two. Then they were gone. They were off on the QS. So that was kind of, you know, I kind of just missed, but we always met up there for a year or two in those, in those, uh, brackets. Like I remember the qualifying series we met up and then, um, yeah, it was kind of, it was, it was Wilco, Julian and I, so we kind of always felt like we always, whether it was the pro junior series, the world tour or, um, or the qualifying series, we always had those those clashes and those heats um but uh never so much so that we were like battling or fighting or scrapping each other like we we there was always that bigger fish to fry which like we were always coming up against we get on tour and there was like the geordies and danes and jeremy and and we were a part of like a generational group whereas we weren't so focused on each other. We were definitely like, there was a bigger, bigger competitive field than each other. Like that was, there was Mick, there was Joel, there was Taj, yeah. there was um, Kelly. There you guys was, were kind of unified against another group 
or several different groups, whether it was a generational thing or a national thing or something like that? Yeah, we weren't, we definitely didn't have that like turn on us. Like we weren't, those three were, we weren't just at the top and turning on ourselves, you know, which right. is probably, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> we, we were like, well, there's like, we're on the tour now and there's Mick and Joel and Taj and Kelly and Andy and those guys that were like, well, there, there was always this step ahead of us. So that was, that's probably how we, we're all still great friends. <laughs> but but you, are you saying too, because you, you mentioned it before, we don't really see each other in between. So when you're home and you're going for surf or you're training or you're trying to keep sharp, you don't, you don't try to meet up with other CT guys at home or? Um, I, I meet up with Connor O'Leary a lot. Uh, we we mm-hmm. hang out a fair bit, um, just we're in the same town. But one thing I've noticed is like everyone has their own programs, right, and how they function best. And to then go and go, all right, well, we're going to have three world tour surfers all meet up in the one day. You know, I've got, I've got a son and then someone's got to walk the dogs or someone, you know, Wilco has like seven dogs and then I had, I had a child. <laughs> like it, it just didn't, uh, it just doesn't like match up every day. So out of the week you might get one surf together. But, uh, I guess there's also the, uh, while the benefit might be that you guys push each other performance wise, that's like three alpha predators all at the same table trying to eat. So there's less waves to go around. Uh, that would be horrible. Imagine that. Uh, we get that's probably enough. why the coffin kids call me up to surf all the time. They're like, Hey, you want to go surf? And I'm like, yeah, I'm non-threatening. I'll just take whatever <laughs> you don't want. It's easy. Yeah. Yeah. Any, any, anything like that. If we rocked up to a, a surf spot and it was like three world tour guys get out of the car that would be some trouble. But like Wilco, <laughs> Connor and I, we all, and, and Stuart Kennedy, and I mean, Adam Melling, we're, you know, we're all in a really close radius. But if we all rocked up the same break, I tell you what, people would be like, oh my God, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I train with Connor a lot. Oh, that's cool. And yeah. he's back on tour now, which is great. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I love training with Connor. We get along great and just, uh, he's a, he's a solid trainer. And love the way he works and man, easy goofy footer too so we're natural fans (laughs) so there's been a little bit of gap in terms of action here on a day like today you have to be obviously really selective with with what's coming through you've got priority here what's going through your mind it's been 10 minutes you got a seven five julian doesn't have much like what are you hunting for at this point the heat looks like there's a wave coming now i was this is what you're looking for you're looking for these roll-ins that have some double ups this wave is pretty funny. Like it rolls in from this back ledge on these swells. And um, I don't know if you see this takeoff here, but I'm in like four foot of whitewash as I'm trying to get to my feet. And that that is like, I mean, this wave, it's such a gamble to do because you can just basically get so flogged. Like that <laughs> yes, whitewash, right. whitewash is so deceiving. Um, I went back for a free surf trip at the end of last year before pipe. Like, the size of this, this can just like f- flog you and roll you. Yeah, if but you don't get fun. around that corner, you're in like the worst spot on the ring. <laughs> oh, you just like, you just, yeah, you've blown it completely. I tried to do this same takeoff uh, at a free surf trip just recently. <laughs> and I, I went to do it and I was like, what am I doing? And I like pulled back and then I just got sucked over backwards. <laughs> and, like, so like, obviously there's some, there's the positive one there, which turned out great, but there's some ones that turn out horribly wrong. When you're in a free surf, like, you know, and the conditions are like this, like what percentage of waves like that do you think are ones that you're, you're nailing, you're getting right, you're getting barreled and which ones, like what percentage do you think you just, oh, it just didn't work out. I got sucked over the falls or, or smashed. Uh, like what percentage in heats work out or what? No, what like in a free surf, like, like, like how much risk are you taking in free surf versus the heat, I guess? I'll probably take less risks in free surfs. Um, it's kind of a bit unnecessary sometimes. And, you know, like there's some serious consequences at these waves. Maybe that's mm. me now. Maybe back then, maybe I, it's probably, yeah, it's hard to say. I can't, I'm probably, I probably, it was probably even, but definitely when it comes to heats, there's, you just get this like thing about you where like if a wave pops up and there's, and you have a chance to go, like you want to try and make it like you want to go. That's what I felt throughout these, well, even still now, if uh, that big wave comes through, there would be barely a time where I know Julian or any of the guys in singlets, if that wave comes through at Chopes or here or whatever, that there'd be, there won't be hardly ever a time that they pull back. 
It feels like that's actually been like a huge change on tour, not just not just in terms of big waves or serious waves or barrels, but like high performance maneuvers or aerials or anything like that. It almost seems like when I started like back in 05, 06, there was still this mentality of I'm going to surf conservatively in my heat to win because that's kind of how the format was structured. It's kind of how like, like scoring wasn't really pushed. I think people in terms of progressing to like, like high risk maneuvers, their strike rate wasn't as high as it was. And that really changed with your generation. You know, I really think that changed in the sense of you now hear a lot of the young guys going like, Oh yeah, I, I, I try as hard as I can in heats. And I kind of, I kind of just practice in free surfs. Is that, do you think that's right? Yeah. I, I, I would have to agree. I, I think there's obviously a balance to it, which I think sometimes maybe the young guys can get wrong and even some of the older guys, but man, there's not many occasions these days where you can go, Oh, I just like safety surfed that heat and got through or, yeah. you know, the judges will pick it apart. They'll go, Oh, not quite. Or, you know, you know they'll, they'll see through it now. And, then seeing through that with the scores helps the next generation go, oh, there's still a chance for me to throw at everything I got at this heat. Whereas I think in the past, some of the scores were a bit more lenient or maybe a bit more like forgiving and, oh, yeah, that was still an eight, you know, that was still pretty good. And it would shut the door or put the pressure too much on the, the up-and-comer who wants to throw that big air or just throw something and it can put it just out of reach. Even if they throw it, they might be just out of reach anyway. But now the scoring is like, oh, no, like that's a 6.5. Like that eight mm-hmm. is now 6.5. And I feel like that is the difference is a point and a half or a point at least it's come down. And, and that point and a half that's come down has made way for someone just to throw it all out there, try as hard as they can and get into that like high scoring zone. And then, and the same with the, you know, like chokes, like everyone, everyone charges now. Whereas back 10 years ago, there was definitely some heats where you're like, oh, this guy's not, not going to, not going to go one of those waves or this or that. Yeah. But now it's for sure. It's everyone's on. It's funny. Like I, I, I've traveled with the judges pretty much my whole career and, and they just like cop all sorts of hell from everybody all the time. Like everyone on social media and everyone's got an opinion and this <laughs> and that and and I mean, even on this, even, I always say this, like when we're at an event, I'm like, look, like there's 36 guys in the event. There's 18 women. Like the end of the day, only at the end of the event, only one surfer is going to be happy because everyone else is going to feel like they got underscored. And even that person's probably like, yeah, I got underscored too, you know? So they just cop so much <laughs> shit. But I think the thing that goes unappreciated is throughout the, that, at least in my experience, like the 2006 to, to, to the modern era they they are hugely responsible for encouraging better surfing you know through the way they've interpreted scoring and the way they've rewarded um like just surfers pushing themselves and and keeping keeping those scores low for conservative surfing yeah well i think um i think they've had a huge part in the way direction the way world titles have unfolded the way mm-hmm. the way they want to judge is the is basically what's dictated champions and dictated the top five, the top 10, even the people that are going to fall off. When I first qualified, there was like a, a really big wave of airs and variety of airs. Yeah. Guys weren't doing the same. Like now you'll see a lot of the same air reverse that happens. It's a full rotation. It's sick. It's mental. But every heat you'll, you'll see maybe say like the, the Portugal one where it was – where Italo wins, it would be the same air every single time that he tries it and we'll get the score. Whereas mm-hmm. back when I first qualified, you would have seen slobs, mutes, different fit. Like you had Josh Kerr doing stale fishes. You had uh, Kelly. There was just so many different variations. But at that time, the judging wasn't really, it wasn't, there was no real benefit in doing that crazy big stuff. Um, mm. And it definitely came I felt that at that time, and I know I've had this chat with others that we all kind of stopped going there because there was no reward system. 
and we were more focused on our rail surfing and whatnot. And, 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 you know, that was the times where there was world champions that were doing rail surfing and there was, that was being rewarded. Um, but yeah, that, that, it, like the conversation of how much they've played a role. Like I remember distinctively what really changed my view on them scoring airs was Jadson Andre. And it's been spoken mm. about before. Like he yeah. was an absolute gun at airs and he would do two of the biggest airs you've ever seen on one wave and yeah. he would get a four point ride. And it was just like, wow, that this is not liked. This is, you know, there's something here that's not quite being picked up on. And I, I definitely felt that was, um, that was changed, but that, as that throughout the years, well, I feel like we're back to that place now where Judson can go and throw that big air and we'll get an 8.5 on this yeah. day right now. But back in 2011, mm. if he threw that air, that's a four point ride because they've seen it before. And I, I tell you, that is the influence that judges have. That guy was off tour, but right now Judson could have the best year of his entire career. He and I talked exactly about that, and and yeah. he think he thinks he he thought twenty twenty was going to be his best year, so probably twenty twenty one will be. But I think you're totally right. Like, and and I think that the world's best surfers, especially at that time, had like an outsized influence on it as well. I remember Jadson beat Kelly your rookie year because you guys were actually pretty close. I think yeah, you guys finished really one and close. two on the QS, and and you guys are really good friends. He beat mm. Kelly doing. And people wrote him off and like he did the same air reverse and beat Kelly. He, I watched that event not the other not too long ago. He did not. Like he's like, there's variations, he's doing huge airs, like he's he's off axis, like there's really cool things he's doing. Yeah. But the narrative that came out of it was like kind of like Kelly drove that in a big way. He's like, he just beat me with air reverses, like I'll see how he does at like J Bay or Tahiti or something, you know? And and I think like that has an impact on, I mean, it's a subjectively scored sport. I think that has an impact on how scoring evolves. And, and as you said, like he's doing the same surfing the next year, he's getting 75% or 50% of the score. And only now is he kind of reincorporating that into his repertoire because it wasn't scoring for years. Man, he cut it out. He just stopped doing it. He, and, and a lot of us, and, and I think, you know, I, I say the judges, but I also say the, 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 the top guys at that time, they had yeah. a big influence as well over the judges that were saying, hey, that's not cool. Like they're not, you know, he's just doing that air and that's all he's doing. And and it, it got so frowned upon and, and it really did. I felt like that did put a big pause or what, whatever the working was then. And it might sound this or that. It's just the way it went. And it's not mm -hmm. a secret. It's, it's clearly happened. And then now you you know, a turnaround, I for sure, like the scoring changed and Judson had won like three or four, maybe two QS events and placed in the finals at three or four QS events throughout the, throughout the year. So mm -hmm. I was like, straight away, I was like 2020 is going to be a big year for him because that's, they've changed their way of thinking as to one-off big maneuvers can be massive. And that's, that's, that's accepted now. And that's, um, and not just, not just by the judges, but also like by the peers and the, the top the surfers, surfers and the, surfing the top world. surfers, yeah, sure. exactly. The surfing world, they want to see that they want to, you know, we're at J Bay and they don't mind if someone races half the wave, it does a few, few kind of average turns and then just throws a huge spinner into the flats like Clohan Dino last year and mm -hmm. like, and get like a, massive score we don't mind seeing that now we don't yeah. mind we don't mind that he didn't really like tee off on every single turn we 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 love to see the huge maneuvers now so i think um, there's an element too of that like like jadson had to kind of go out of his way to prove he has a rail game and he has a barrel game like he always kind of had it i'm sure it got yeah. better over the years but like he kind of had to go out it, it, and I'm, I'm not even saying it was necessary but he, he probably had to um, and go and prove that he had those parts of his surfing to make it look like he wasn't a one-trick pony, right? So now his airs score better because everyone understands he's like a comprehensive surfer. Yeah, it's 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 a tricky it's a tricky game. I think he definitely got better at all of those things when he stopped doing those big one-off airs. 
But yeah, like, I, I think that whole judging thing has been so, so interesting to be, I've had that, that 10 years to experience all sides of that, um, be on the sides of like, yeah, I got overscored or yeah, I got underscored, <laughs> you know, but, um, yeah, hey, this is a pretty pivotal time in the heat. We're, he's in a combo right now, but in the last five minutes. And he has priority. And he has priority. That wave there was like a paddle and I was trying to go, but didn't really want that wave. And this is the this next wave. This is another roll in for you. <laughs> this is the this is the roll in, and this was my first ten of the oh, final. I mean, I don't think it was a perfect wave, but I I felt like I that combination of that barrel and that, that turn. I I liked it. I loved it. As you can see, my claim. <laughs> well, and it's snap decisions, right? Like Julian could have waited and gotten that wave instead. He went on the crappy one before it, and he went on the third one, which didn't work out. And he must be like so frustrated at this point. He's probably just like Jesus. Well, well, like he's like when I look, went back and watched this heat, I realized that that right there was the catalyst of me winning the final. Because if he didn't go that first wave and, and my fake didn't work out, then he would have gone this wave for sure and probably got, yep. you know, a 10 or whatever or done something equally as good. And yep. um, there's still another 10 point ride in this heat. So it could have switched just like that from him being comboed to me on the other foot being comboed. Do you, do you talk to your competitors out there? Like there was that quite big lull before, before this exchange. Do you talk to your competitors out there? Uh, we, didn't, we didn't really chat that much. Like your eyes are peeled on this second reef, these roll-ins, just trying to wait to see yep. what, what's happening. And there's some currents and stuff at Fiji. The wind was howling. We were kind of constantly checking in on where we were uh, out in the lineup. But I mean, there's been times I've chatted to competitors and times that I, we just don't, but um, yeah, this, this was definitely one of them, <laughs> one of them heats that just unfolded. Like we had like probably a good 25, we've been chatting away, right? And there's been 25 minutes of no waves caught. And then this pretty much all happens in this last, last five minutes. Well, my waves do anyway. And Julian gets a few more waves, but, uh, he just gets on the wrong side of the um, wrong side of the good waves on the set. Sometimes yeah, and as you said, it, it it's that little rhythm too, right? Like it was there were a few major moments in this heat, and you were just in rhythm on each moment. And as you said, if it if it had swung back and forth, it could have been very very close because there's tens out there that he could have put on the scoring line, and you would have been on the wrong wave, right? Totally. Like this this is the second ten, and I know for sure he would have made this barrel like. <laughs> yeah, he's that talented and and um yeah, that was my second 10, but that he was he was on the jet ski. If he didn't even go that third wave, that wave would have been his. That last 10 point <laughs> ride. So there was like so many different scenarios that played out in that heat that I was like, well, like it just happened and unfolded in a way for me to be able to get those two 10s or and an and a 96. So it was a just one of them heats. I was just having one of those events really and heats and well yeah, and so i was going to ask about that because we, we kind of outlined like the rampage you'd gone on up until this final well up until pretty much from round three onwards mm -hmm. this is the second perfect 20 for you in the event it's never happened before or since for a single competitor in surfing history did this event feel different did you just feel like you know was there something about it were you were you buzzing did you did you was it just an, a heightened rhythm compared to all the other events? Like, did it, I just want to know, did it feel different for you because you were just in such a rarefied space? Yeah. I don't know. You know, it's, it's one of them, one of them events where I turned up, I had all the good boards. I'd tested all my boards out. I'd, I'd surfed. I'd already by this stage been on a trip to Chopes. I'd surfed a few heavier waves down the South coast. And uh, like, that's just what I love down here. And I always look for those type of waves and I just had everything dialed in. So I went over there and I just, it just kind of happened. Um, I great boards, good headspace. Oh, there's so much wild stuff happens in the channel, man. Boats crashing into each other. <laughs> it makes me laugh now. I think I fell out of that boat. I don't think I jumped. <laughs> <laughs> 
it was a big deal. Like the rivalry between Nomotu and Tavarua too, because Nomotu is traditionally where all the Australians stay. But I think Julian was on Tavarua that year because I think he was there with with Ashley, if I remember right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he was. Um, yeah, that that's that rivalry is pretty funny, hey. And it for sure happens. Like we we get pretty stoked out over on Nomotu and sitting at the bar and yelling and screaming at the TV and whatnot. So. Yeah, it's, it's some, there's some funny stories that come out over there. Obviously, there's, you see all the shenanigans that go on. You've got the, there's this tradition, your first year on there, you've got to have a, a, a skull drag. And um, it's this drink that has about eight different shots in it or eight or nine standard drinks or something in the one drink. And we just kind of put this like snorkel mask on and it goes all out to the top and at the top it has this like skull, open skull and they tip the drink down there and it's, you know, down the hatch. And, um, and it's, it's, a, it's just one of the things that I was a rookie coming on tour and that was, that was the tradition and it's kept up every year. Like everyone's, everyone's just like, yep, all right. And that's, that's how it goes. Oh, it's a it's a real thing. Yeah, I I first went over there for the Volcom events back when Volcom did the Fiji events. I don't remember. I had like three or four, five years doing yeah. those events, and I always stayed on Tavaru because that's where they put me. And um, I'd never done one. And then when uh, <laughs> when I got the brand gig back in 2017, I think it was the the Motu guys were like, "Well, you know, you're half Australian. You should come over here and pay your respects and do one." And it's. Uh, yeah, I didn't think it was that bad. There were a few of the people that did it with me didn't end up so right. Yeah, I mean, I think Sova, the bar, the bar lady, she can definitely stack them wrong, and uh, <laughs> it's it's their some, version of entertainment for sure. Uh, oh yeah, and then like sometimes you have one, and then you just see sometimes the tough someone's that tough guy's like, oh, I'm having another one, and <laughs> and Sova just like doesn't put any alcohol in it because like. And yeah, if she, she really knows wants, now. That's, that's the end of yeah, year. If, she, if she really wants to get rid of them, she'll put alcohol in it, and it'll be like good night. <laughs> so, 2015. I mean, this is one of the most seminal performances in surfing history by by anyone. Um, you were well in the running um, heading into the final event at Europe Pipe, and you suffered that the horrific head injury, and, and weren't actually able to compete. You know, I, I know that that injury and, and a few of your others have been pretty well documented, but I wanted to ask you, and you touched on it a little bit before, like, what do you think you've learned having those kind of injuries and having those pauses in your career? And I guess particularly the head injury one, like what were the steps from, from then to now? And, and what do you think were the main things you had to learn or relearn through that process? Mm. Yeah, that was 2015. Great just to, I was in a great space. Um, I'd done pretty much whatever I wanted. I'd done free surf trips, search trips, um, competitive trips, um, and I felt like I was in great form. I was coming into the final day there at Pipe and had a free surf in the morning, and um, I had I was in form again. I had a really good some a really good wave to open up the morning, and then yeah, then the the head injury happened. I was at, at pipe, pipe and it was second, second, oh, it was massive. It was some of the biggest pipe I've surfed. And um, there was like this one that was on second reef and it was like just thick as and just broke right in front of us. And I just, instead of bailing, which everyone around me did, I just tried to duck dive. And so I have no idea why, but this wave was like 15 feet and just driving down in front of us. And I just, duck dived and when you're on like a 7-0 you duck dive you get about that far under the water like so this lip just like pile drove me but I I you know after that it was you know that's quite a long process to come back um it was a whole year out and then the whole, whole first year was a learning process again and the aim was to just get my life back and be back on tour and the doctors were kind of there in the first few events and you know watching me trying to, you know, I, I won my first event back, which was, uh, was really unexpected. Yeah. But unexpected by the doctors and even by myself, like, and that there was some pockets of gold in there. Like basically all I could cope with at that event was just like, I'm just going to try and stay on my feet. And I had my coach at the time, Glenn Hall, and he was just, he was just like, just stay on your feet. Like, 
Mm-hmm. And I would just paddle out and go, just finish the wave and stay on my feet. And that's all I would try to do. Like, And then like, as I could do more then things, you know, things got slowly added back in over the time, but it, it took, it took a long time like to yeah. get, get properly healthy. And, oh yeah, probably out of that, the things I learned, learned the most was just like to probably just be vulnerable. Like I was, mm. you know, at Bell's and, having meltdowns in the competition area and the WSL was so great because they they didn't have me do any heat interviews, which I couldn't. I was absolute mess and there was, you know, and that wasn't an emotional mess. That was just my brain wasn't, it was so overloaded that I was getting side effects from uh, from the recovery. But the doctors were there assessing me going, oh, we pull him out, pull him not. But I just had to learn to be open and and like have these things in front of everyone. And, and that's where I really felt a sense of like, there's so much support on tour. There's so many friends, there's so many people that are there for you. And um, yeah, that was probably some of the, the greatest stuff to come out of it. I just really felt like a home, a home was on tour and that I was okay to be in those vulnerable states. Do you remember when you felt like you'd sort of fully recovered from the injury? I mean, have you felt like you fully recovered? I mean, you're, you're sharp as these days. Um, but, but was there a moment where you're like, I feel like I'm out of the woods on that? Because I remember being on tour and working with you and working with the doctors and how touch and go it was for a period of time. Mm. Yeah. So it was, it took a long, it took longer than what has been out there spoken about. Um, Mm. I could have told you at any stage that I was fine, by the way. I would have told you the first event back I was great and 100%. I would have told you three months or four months out of the head injury that I was fine and 100%. I could have told you two two weeks after the head injury, I'm doing great, I'm just going to rest. I'm a bit tired. I'll be fine in a few weeks. <laughs> so I always had this like I'm fine and I felt fine. Um, right. But like if they tested me, I wasn't. I wasn't. And I first passed my tests or my testing before Chopes last year. Yep. And that that's when I first passed my uh, test. I think I got ninety six percent in my yeah. t- in my test, and so it's like three uh, to four years, right? That was end of two thousand fifteen, so two thousand and nine, halfway through two thousand and nineteen. Yeah, and three that, change. Huh? Yeah, I was still scoring pretty low at the start of two thousand and nineteen in these tests, um, mm. and then. I uh, yeah, got to 96. And then since, since then I, I, uh, had the Chopes win and then I got the equal second at the wave pool. Um, I had, I had a few up and down events in, in, uh, Europe. Um, but there, uh, that's to happen. Those beach breaks are always pretty, pretty tricky to navigate. And then, yeah, like pipes always that next hurdle for me is that's the one I want to, I want to win and really kind of put my, Put it full, like I feel like it's fully to bed now, but like I want to win pipe and just kind of get that chip off my shoulder, so to speak. And uh, anyway, it's a great event to win at all, but just in general. But um, yeah, that was a long process. And yeah, there was lots of not so good moments and lots of ways where I was just coping or just getting by. And um, yeah, but I definitely turned that corner and I feel like there's more thriving and more living and more just just everything's so much easier now since I've passed those tests. Like, whereas before that, it was just so challenging, man. Like, I'm not going to lie. You can hear it in my yeah. voice when I say that. But um, No, of course. Yeah, and I, I mean, yeah. the, what you say about vulnerability is a big one too. I know, um, like, Mick and I talk a lot about that too, you know, and it, it's yeah. one of those things that I, I think his, the what he cited is, you know, being a male and being an Australian male. And I think it's probably consistent for a lot of people is they feel like they have to not be vulnerable. Right. Um, and that, mm. that can sometimes prevent um, growth in a lot of ways. Um, oh yeah, there was, so that's, a, that's one of the things that I definitely had to learn. Like I started, I was, I started back at the tour and then Margaret river, there was massive waves and I surfed them and I surfed them great, but I was getting these like, these chest cramps and mm. these like, and they were actually anxiety and panic attacks or not panic attacks, but they were just such heightened anxiety. I was getting yeah. chest cramps, but I didn't know why I was getting them because I was just brushing it aside. Like I can surf these waves. I'm sure I'm not scared. Don't worry about it. But like, 
but I had to like get some like connecting happen. Like now, like I really am scared of getting another head injury and yeah. really freaked out by that. And that took some time to connect with, but um, yeah, that, that also took a good, a good chunk of my time. Now I can go and surf pipe without having that, that feeling um, gripping me. But um, that took some time to get rid of that. And, and, and it was to be vulnerable and try and start to accept that I'm shit scared of these waves. And, but like as athletes and as, you know, those, you're kind of, you don't want to think that you're scared or you don't want to even accept that you are scared and you don't want to even entertain that thought. So I was just trying to, I didn't even connect to, to all this like cramping that I was getting, but then once that, and it's, I was gonna say it's wholly, it's wholly like not connecting to it and not being vulnerable is wholly preventative to even dealing with it. Right. Because if you're not going to acknowledge it exists, you're not actually going to deal with it and you can't, there's no way you can get better that way. Um, that was exactly what was happening. Exactly what was happening. I was just didn't even want to know about it. And then once I actually delved into it and was vulnerable, I'm like, well, I'm freaked out by this. And, and the, and I didn't even wear a helmet then. Whereas now I acknowledge the fact that I'm scared. I don't want to hit my head that I now wear a helmet and, but that's healthy. That's like, Oh yeah that's uh, I'm feeling scared and I don't want to get hurt right now. And I'm going to put a helmet on to prevent myself from future head injuries or potential injuries. And whereas prior to that, I didn't wear the helmet, even I was in a more vulnerable state. Mm. uh, And I didn't, I didn't do that. Um, But that was because I didn't want to acknowledge it to that extent. You've had such a fantastic, like up and down, but just a sort of like, career of legend already and you're you're, already, you're only young right but um a lot has changed right and and you're married now and you're a father now you know have your goals changed um since you've been married and since you become a father professionally um from when you set out on tour well look definitely i haven't had this so much rapid change in the last four years that i've had in my whole life like i've always wanted to win a world title the head injury happened and I just wanted to get my life back. I just wanted to finish a year and, and like, just see how that goes, whether or not I did another year, I just wanted to finish that year. And, you know, then I was like, okay, I've done that. I finished that year. Now I, now I just want to like, just go through another year and like cruise. Like I I did get good results, but that wasn't my focus. My focus was just to, like keep recovering, keep this yep. going. Um, I added in a bit of the next year after I was on tour, I added in a bit of physical training. Um, I was barely free surfing, but I just was happy to do that at that time. But whereas now, you know, once I've passed these tests, I've found my mind naturally going back towards like, I want to give a world title go again. Um, but I could definitely say that hasn't been a goal of mine for the last three to four years. It's just for been sure. not on the table. I haven't been able to do the fitness training. I haven't been able to do the surfing. I haven't been, you know, really up for it. Um, and then, but now it's like the ease that the training happens and the, this, the recovery happens so easily from training and the surfing, there's, it's, it's so much easier that I'm like, oh, like, yeah. I'm finding all those natural feelings of like, um, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for it again. So. Well, on the topic of title contention, you know, the WSL announced some really significant directional changes to the tour starting in 2021, and the primary one is evolving the way the WSL crowns its world champions from a tour long rankings to the tour long rankings qualifying the world's best to a single day event uh, for the title, um, and that title happening based off a performance in the water on the day you know what are your thoughts on that moving forward unvarnished do you you like it do you hate it do you want to see it happen what are you thinking i like it i like that i obviously you hear everyone's different opinions out there but my opinion is just i like it i'm so stoked that it's happening um i i love that the whole year goes through and it's like you it's basically like you, 
you if you finish first, yeah, you finished first, you've done amazing. That's great. Now you're going to go to like the the you know this what you like the Super Bowl, the playoffs, or whatever. You're gonna get into this last the world title event now. I believe that is just so exciting. Like this, just as a competitor and as a fan, for me, I'm just as excited to be on both sides of that, uh, whether I'm in it or not in it. You know, I love, I love that. It's just so much more heightened that last world title event. So I'm a big fan of it. I think when I first heard about it, I was a big fan of it. And then, yeah, now that it's happening, I, it, I hope it, it's I hope one it of those things. I mean, I think it's one of those things too, where it's like the world title every year forever always comes down to a heat. You know, we, we don't know when that heat's going to be. We don't know what the conditions are leading up to it. And I think that what's happening moving forward, we are going to know when that happens. We know when that heat happens and it's actually going to happen between the best surfers of the year, battling the best surfers of the year, as opposed to the best surfers of the year, maybe taking on a wild card or a lower seed or losing to a lower, they not facing off. Right. And I, and I think that's kind of the most exciting thing for me, where it's like these uh, men and women have fought to be here all year and now they have to face off against each other. And that's to me, I'm really excited about it. Oh, me too. Um, big fan. Uh, I see that. I see the amazement of the other side too, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, just the excitement of like, yeah, the whole year's happened and you still get all the same enjoyment and this, all the same, like, this is the best and you still go, oh, that person finished on the top. And then they've, and then it's just an extra bonus of like, this is the champions going after the title now. And it's, you know, however many it is, that's, I think there's just something so incredibly exciting about it. So we put it out to the Instagram community to see if anyone had questions for you. And we got a lot, but we're going to ask you three of them from the Instagram group. Um, <laughs> Okay, so I got to read this name. Lme.evans01 and Lido37 both asked, okay, that's why there's two of them, who is the best surfer in the Wright family? Oh, uh, I'm going to say Tyler. Like, she's got the most power. <laughs> she's a gun at bow riding. I mean, I think, I think just if he even went on stats, like, you'd just go, all right, she's a two-time world champion, obvious there. But even if you took those away, she'd won she'd won an event when she was 14 years old. Uh, <laughs> I was there. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, nuts. Lane Beachley event and Manly. Um, I think, yeah, just Tyler hands down. She's just for sure. All right, good answer. Second question, Valley Girl 24 asked, do you have an active competition with your brother for the best mullet? <laughs> well, I don't have a mullet, but he would <laughs> win any competition for a mullet. Good I correction. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, he's um, he's yeah, he's got a great mullet for sure. All right, last one here from Instagram, Jemima Lacolo. I definitely screwed that up. Can you bring back the claws on your boards? <laughs> Oh, I do. I've got them. I've been drawing them in my um, in my uh, quarantine time. I've taken to some art in my surfboards with my son, and uh, we've uh, got a few got a few claw patterns that we've been drawing on. So that's one of the one of the things that I uh, I uh, I will be bringing back when the tour starts up again. Stoked. You got to, you got to do the big Owen claws and then some mini volley claws next to it. I think that'd be sick. <laughs> yeah. That'd be pretty cool. The double, double strength. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. You've been amazing on this. Before we go, we do our lightning round, which are 10 questions. Um, you answer as fast as you can. Okay. First question. If you only had one board set up for the rest of your life, single fin, twin fin, thruster, quad, bonzer, or finless, which would it be? Oh, that is a huge one. Um, so it'd have to be a thruster. It would, yeah. Yeah, can't go away from it. Coffee or tea? Tea. Hate coffee. Burrito <laughs> or pizza? Um, burrito. Oh, pizza. Damn. I don't know. That's so equal. <laughs> Last book you read? Um... It's in my bag, but I can't even think of the title. 
What's it, it about? It's about, it's a bit of a doom and gloom book about the planet and the different temperatures. And uh, it was kind of like a, not a doom and gloom, but like a, like what, what if the planet rises by two degrees? What does that mean? What if it rises by one degrees? What does that mean? What like, and in a sense of like crops and, and mm. um, different mosquitoes and, you know, different like little bugs and things that can hatch and some crazy Ooh. stories that like wipe out species when they get above a certain degree that they can wipe out different animal species and whatnot. So, yeah. So just some, weird book, some night, weird nighttime book. reading. Yeah, read it to Volley to go to bed too. Honestly, I haven't finished. I got through like a few things and then I was like, this is just anxiety. I am. <laughs> I didn't finish it, so. All right, all right. Uh, next question. Best surf film ever? Um, I think for me, I just have to go with Panic, Fanning the Fire. That was like right when I was like frothing grommet, wanting to be, you know, ripping and having the most fun. Fanning the Fire for me. Yeah. I think that's where you had the orange ultimate too with the sleeves. So for sure. Yeah, you probably you probably hear me say that a few times. So yeah, that was for me for sure. All right, next question. One wave you never have to go back to. One wave I never have to go back to. Um I haven't really surfed any bad waves in my life, so I could kind of go back to most of them actually. Um That's a good answer. Yeah, I've I've searched trips we've kind of blocked out every time and I've yeah, got good waves. <laughs> If you only got to surf one way for the rest of your life, which would it be? Uh, Aussie Pot. Best person to share a lineup with? Um, I'd say Wilco. He's pretty funny. We sit out there and lots of funny good chats and, and uh, yeah, just pretty funny. It's a good time. Worst person to share a lineup with? <laughs> Worst. <laughs> um, I don't know. Any lineup that's crowded that's a that is the worst <laughs> that's the piece uh, like put put the women's ct and the men's ct at bells on a slow morning that is just a nightmare <laughs> <laughs> all right last question finish this sentence i will next achieve a state of happiness by i will next achieve a state of happiness by surfing aussie pot Awesome. Owen Wright, thank you so much for joining us on the lineup at Low Tide. That was an awesome conversation. No worries. Thanks for having us. Good to have a chat. So that's it. That's part two of the lineup presented by Michelob Ultra Pure Gold's conversation with Owen Wright. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks so much to Owen for his time and frankly, his candor on topics like his injury and recovery. If you haven't already checked out Rip Curl's new E7 wetsuit, do yourself a favor and try one on. You won't be disappointed. In addition to the long overdue conversations about systemic racism, uh, please educate yourself and listen in this space. And the international economic challenges of 2020. COVID-19 is still ravaging countries around the planet. It's not gone and we need to stay informed and disciplined in how we actively address it. The CDC's identified symptoms for COVID-19 include runny nose, sore throat, fever, cough, and shortness of breath. If you're not feeling well, call your doctor. And the World Health Organization's behavioral recommendations that everyone should follow. Wash your hands, avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. If you have to cough or sneeze, do so into your elbow. Social distancing, avoid groups of 10 or more people and stay away from everyone as much as you can. If you're not feeling well, get checked out as soon as possible. And if you can work from home, do it. And a massive thank you to the essential workers out there from hospital staff to grocery workers, delivery drivers, firemen, and everyone out there working through the pandemic to keep people safe. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday.